Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. As today we cover verses 16 through 22. A lot is here, but we're going to see in one sense the lonely, and then secondly the lion, and then we'll close with the Lord. All woven together, of course, because look what we read. I want to read the whole thing and then come back uh, and break it down. It says in verse 16, Paul says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully preached through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. We come now to the conclusion of Paul's letter written to Timothy. The last letter that he would write while on planet earth. And we see there in verse 16, Paul mentions his first defense. Uh, this is in reference to the first time Paul was brought to the judge uh, this time around. Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, he calls it the preliminary trial. And uh, one commentator said the same thing. He said the preliminary investigation preceding the formal trial was sometimes delayed for a considerable period. And so in other words, he goes before the judge and what we find is that now he has some time before they give him his sentence. Right here, the Greek word translated defense. It refers to an answer for self, a verbal defense, a speech. And you know, one of the things about Paul that's kind of cool is that not only would he defend himself in court, but primarily we're going to see it was the defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because really, that was the conviction. You know, and when you read his trials, you know, with Festus and King Agrippa and the others, what you find that was that his defense, his legal defense, was always a defense of the gospel. The same word is used over in Acts 22, verse 1, when Paul testified and said, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now, and then also in Acts 25, 16, there it's translated how he answered for himself. And so here in verse 16, the first offense is Paul's answer for himself. And we read right there what happened in that preliminary trial. Again, in verse 16, at my first offense, here it is, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. You know, he had that first defense, but it was something he had to do without any other human help. If you remember, we read earlier in chapter 4, look at verse 10. It says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. 
He says in verse 11 that Luke is with him. And we're going to see later when he sends greetings from Rome, he does mention other names. But apparently what happened was when that actual court case was heard, that they did not come into the courtroom and stand with him. And so this is a heavy place for him to be. You know, for us, I think we might be able to identify with it if you ever feel alone. You know, and a lot of times that happens in life. Paul was a champion for the great cause of Christ. He was faithful. He was uncompromising. He was pleasing to God. Definitely used by the Lord. But it's amazing how here, at the end of his life, he finds himself in many respects all alone. No one stood with him, the Bible says. They all forsook him. You know, the Greek word translated forsook, it means to leave behind, it means to abandon, it means to desert. You know, we've all probably been in that situation, and I think even we can relate to it. You know, I I don't know if you've ever been to court. Have you ever been to court just to be there for someone? You know, maybe you weren't the one that was going to stand before the judge, but your loved one was, and you just wanted to be there for moral support. You know, right here we see Paul, he's not guilty of doing anything bad. He's completely caught up in life and only doing good, the highest good, for the glory of God and the good of people. And none of those people were there to stand with him. You know, I think in one sense, this must have been very difficult. You know, and just as a real quick side note, a lot of people feel alone. You know, uh, and I talk to single people especially, especially when they get older. You know, for those of us that are married, for those of us who have friends, for those of us who have fellowship, for those of us who have a place to go on Thanksgiving, we might not, you know, really be cognizant of the fact that there are many people who don't have anywhere to go. They're they're very lonely. Uh, sometimes the single people are experiencing that. And even if you do have a place to go, even if you're there with a thousand people, a lot of times you feel alone. You know, and this is a feeling that we can experience. It's uh, actually a situation that we can go through. But for us as Christians, we're going to see that we might feel alone and we might be all alone from a human perspective but we are never, ever, ever alone. And you know, I, I want to encourage you in that because really the companionship of Jesus Christ is really the only comfort that we can have in Christ. When our joy is, is, is uh, connected or chained or anchored to a person, then our joy will go up and down with that person. But when our joy and our peace and our life is anchored to Christ, the rock who never changes, it's then that we find ourselves where we need to be as Christians. Because we're going to see as we go through our study today that that men will fail you. You know, and I hope you know that. Um, I hope you know that. Because nobody's perfect. Nobody, you know. And so... When they fail you, I hope you don't get all discouraged and bummed out and you fall away from the Lord. You know, because the bottom line is, um, they're, 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 they're just men. The, the best of men are, are men at best. And we have to give them grace. We have to know and understand 
and not have such high expectations. You know, they're not going to be perfect. Right here we see that they all forsook him. And I think in one sense it was hard for Paul, but it's interesting to me that it doesn't in any way create even a trace of resentment. Because look what he says there in verse 16, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. And then he says this, May it not be charged against them. So now he's taking it up higher, man. Now he's taking it to a different court, the heavenly court, and he prays to God, the ultimate judge, for the people. He prays for the people who had abandoned him. And he says, Lord, may they not be held accountable for it. You know, and there's a lesson there. How can he say that? How can he pray that? I mean, you go up to the judge and you're thinking, hey, I'm sure he's going to be there and I'm sure she's going to be there and no one's there. And you're like, man, I don't get it. They're not there for me. How can you say, how can you pray, but Lord, you know what? Don't, don't charge it against them. Well, there's a couple of reasons, at least, that come to mind and heart. Number one is at this time, and, and it's just so cool to see how Paul is like Jesus. Paul's like Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 23, 34? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how they have abandoned me, deserted me, not been there for me. They don't know how wrong that is. Paul was like Jesus, and he would die like Jesus. If you remember, like Stephen died like Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, verse 60, when the religious leaders had unjustifiably stoned him, as he's about to die, the Bible says that he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he died. I mean... You know, the crucifixion of Jesus, the stoning of Stephen, the abandoning of Paul, these are all wrongs. These are all wicked wrongs. Now, most people would say, Lord, get them. Deal with them, but not the one who is like Christ. The one who is like Christ would actually say, may it not be charged against their account. Lord, you know, forgive them. I mean, I mean, you know, they're killing you. They're throwing stones on you. And Stephen's crying out for mercy. What we see right here is a lot of times where I'm afraid that we're not like Jesus. We're not like Stephen. We're not like Paul who was like Jesus. I think for most of us here, don't we usually say, um, get him, Lord? <laughs> Lord, just get him. Get him. If you say, get him, you are not like the Lord. You know, if God wants to give him mercy, he'll give him mercy. Pray for God to give him mercy. But if God wants to give him justice, he'll give him justice. But you've got to be careful where your heart is. Here's Paul. He says, no one's there for me. But Lord, don't charge it against their account. And what you see is Paul is definitely a man with the character of Christ. That's how he could pray that. That's how he could say that. And then secondly, I think another thing that helped him in this moment is the Lord stood with him, it says in verse 17, and the Lord strengthened him. You know, I've learned in life, 
And it's, it's been hard, but I've learned in life that it's okay if men turn away. You know, they're doing their best to follow the Lord a lot of times. Not all the times, but a lot of times. It's okay for men to turn away. It's okay. We have to expect that. Why? Because men are fickle. Not only that, it's okay for men to turn away because not only are men fickle, they're feeble. Did Paul really need them to be there? No, he didn't. Because he had Jesus. Men are fickle, men are feeble. We love men. We work together as a team. But we really, ultimately, the one that we need, that we want, that we long for, that we cry out for, the one who's got to do the work in us and through us is not a man. It's, it's got to be Jesus. And so it's okay if they turn away. That's how Paul was able to do this. He was like Jesus. And when he was there, in the middle of that rough time, the Lord strengthened him. You know, and the Lord, and I, and I think, when I was reading through this right here, I was like, Lord, you know, um, I love these people. I want them to do good. Um, one day they might find themselves in similar situations. And so, Lord, use your word to prepare them for that day when they're all alone or maybe for that day when they're fighting the lion. You know, don't make it a blanket promise that everybody's going to be okay. Paul was. And I think there are precious promises for us as Christians that we can cling to. But we have to make sure that we know that this is Paul. This is the guy who believed. This is the guy who abided. This is the guy who obeyed. This is the guy who served the Lord. And the Lord was there standing by him. And, and the Lord was there strengthening him. Look again at verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully preached or preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. You know, earlier we read that word uh, forsook. He said they all forsook him. They all abandoned him, deserted him. And what we find is that even though men forsook Paul, God didn't. And that's what we find in the Bible. There are promises for us as Christians. For example, the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews was not written to perfect people. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were struggling. Christians who were thinking about going back to the, the Judaic system. And so, you know, they weren't perfect. But there's a beautiful promise written to them. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never, ever, ever leave you, nor forsake you. Same Greek word. They forsook him. Jesus would never forsake him. Paul experienced that in his ministry. 2 Corinthians 4, 9, he said, We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. Same Greek word. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. You see, and there is a difference. We're, you know, going through hard times, man, but the, the cool thing is um, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us as Christians. How is this possible? How can we never, ever, ever be 
alone? How can we, someone like me, the simple me, the sinful me, how can we never, ever, ever be alone? Never, ever be forsaken by such a holy, holy, holy God. And of course, we know the answer is when Jesus died on the cross, that he was forsaken. Remember Mark chapter 15, verse 34? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was his greatest fear. That was what created the agony in the garden. That's what made him bleed, sweat, blood, was that moment of separation between him and the Father. But you see, we will never be forsaken because Jesus was. On that cross, he bore our sins. On that cross, he shed his blood to save us. We will never, ever have to stand alone. God will never, ever abandon us or desert us. You know, and I, and I, and I think in one sense, you guys, I kind of think that, that if you want to go away, that he'll chase you down, he'll run you down because he won't let you go that easily. You know, but I, I think if you want to run away and you don't want the Lord anymore in your life, I think in one sense that's possible. But I tell you what, he'll never leave you. He'll never leave you. Never. And that's what the Bible says. The Lord will stand with you. He will stand by you. And he will stand for you. Uh, this Greek word, it means not just to stand in some erect position, but he means to stand by and to support. You know, and we know for Paul, it wasn't the first time he'd experienced the personal presence of Jesus when he was struggling on Corinth, maybe even worrying what was going on while he was ministering there. We read in the book of Acts chapter 18, 9 and 10, it says the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. He says, do not be afraid, speak. Speak. Why? Don't keep silent, for I am with you. And by the way, it's interesting, because look at verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me for what? So that the message might be preached fully through me. I can't tell you how many times, and I still I get nervous every single time I, I, I speak, you know, and uh, every time. You know, I, I want to throw up before I come up here and... And I don't know, you know, when I do good or when I do bad. Only the Lord knows. You know, all teachers, I think they feel that way. But the one thing that we want is it to be God's message. And we want it to be, you know, the, the complete message, the word of God, fully preached through us. And we're going to see that the devil, the lion, he does not want that. And so God has to strengthen us to fully preach the message, right? The Greek word translated strengthened is a word that means to be strong, to endue with strength, but remember, this is spiritual strength. You know, if God stands by us, then there's no doubt that God will strengthen us. And that's what you read here in our text in 2 Timothy and that's what you read. I like Psalm 37, verse 39. It says, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. 
You know, here's Paul, and you know, you know, you got to see it for the way that it really is. What's going on here is not what we see with these eyes. What's going on here, what was going on especially there, was much more than the naked eye could see, was much more than the physical eye could see. You know, what's going on in the pews, in the congregation, in your life, in your heart, the battle that is going on in your home, the lion that is lying to you, that battle is a spiritual battle. And that's why we need the spiritual strength. When we're talking about strength here, we're not talking about physical strength. We're talking about spiritual strength. And there was a war for the souls of people listening to Paul preach. And so the devil, the accuser, did everything he could to stop the message of Paul, to weaken the message, to let him preach the full message with the power of God. Not only was there a war going on in this declaration of Paul, but there's another war going on, you know, maybe for the temptation. Paul kind of relaxed. Uh, some say maybe even, and I don't know, what do you guys think about this? Do you think that maybe that he's, he's going there, that the devil is telling him, all you got to do is say that Caesar is Lord and you'll live? You know, maybe. I mean, for me, I can't even think of it being a temptation because I, I put Paul up on this pedestal, but, but maybe there was that element of it going on too. You know, just recant. Just relax. Just say the words in your heart. You kind of know what's really going on, but, but, you know, I don't know. All I know is that there was this battle going on, number one, explicitly stated in the text so that he could preach the message fully, so that all those people there could hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and have the hope of salvation. But I think there was also a message going on for there was a battle going on for himself because look again, it says right here, and that the that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear. He says, also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and here it is, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for what? For his, for his heavenly kingdom. The word translated preserve is usually used in the, in, the, in the context of salvation. It's a soteriological term. And so there was a battle going on even for, in one sense, that element where, uh, you know, are you going to recant? I mean, to the very end. You know, it can't mean a literal lion, okay? Because Paul was a Roman citizen. He could not be fed to the lions. And what we're talking about here is the spiritual lion. And there's this battle going on. And last night when I was here and I was thinking about this text today, I thought to myself, I said, Lord, you know, there are going to be people that one day they're going to feel alone. May your word prepare them for that time. When they feel alone, may they know by faith that they're not alone. Your people are never alone. Prepare them for that day, Lord, because I know we've all been there. And prepare them for the day that they go toe-to-toe with the lion. The one who is, is wanting to devour their life. You know, and I was going to say, and you guys are cool, you're safe, 
You know, Jesus gives you the victory, and, and he does. But, you know, in that sovereignty of God, in that cross and in that victory, we have a responsibility as well. We need to be people who, you know, um, respond to the gospel, who live the life, who have the faith. Um, because when we go against the lion, there will be some um, that get devoured. And that might be you. And you're like, oh, it'll never happen to me, Manny. I'm a strong Christian. I'm right on. I, I love the Lord. You don't know what you're talking about. You make yourself vulnerable by saying that. The lion is lying to you. And he's so cunning. If you go over to 1 Peter, I think we need to take a look at this. Chapter 5, in verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, and, and it was kind of funny. I'll share this with you guys, and I hope I don't make anybody stumble, but last night I was here, and I was listening to them sing from the karaoke place next door. Have you guys ever heard them? And uh, it was kind of funny. I'm like, I was listening to them sing, and I'm like, Lord, how can they sing like that, keep singing like that? I mean, they hear themselves, don't they? They sound terrible. <laughs> I'm serious. They were just so... I mean, they were, you guys are even better than them. They were really, really bad. And the Lord told me, they're drunk. They're drunk. They go in there drunk. You guys know that, right? They take their beers in there too, and they get drunk, and then they sing. Um, I, know, I know it sounds silly, but they're not sober. And I think sometimes Christians, in one sense, they're, they're drunk with the things of this world. They're drunk in their self-righteousness. They're drunk in their self-deception. They think they're like just like, wow, right on. And, and they're not. You know, we got to be sober and look at things from the biblical perspective. We have to be vigilant. We have to be awake. We have to be watching. Because have you guys ever seen the way the lions, uh, the way they, uh, they hunt, you know? They, they watch the pack and they see the ones over there that are straggling, right? The ones that are limping, the ones that are weak, the ones that are out of fellowship. Have you guys ever seen those lions? And then they go and they, and that's the one they, they get. And that happens. It happens sometimes in the church. And what we need to do is we need to see this as a valid warning for us. Peter's writing to to Christians and he's telling them to be sober, be vigilant because our adversary is coming against us and you know, he wants to devour us. You know, what we find back in 2 Timothy is that the Lord had delivered him out of the lion and God did his part and Paul, I think, was a cooperative Christian doing his part as well. And I just love the promise that we read here in verse 18. He says, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. I love that promise. God will deliver us to paradise. God will deliver us from hell to heaven. God will deliver us all the way home. All we have to do is stay with Jesus, stay in the boat, stay in the ark, keep 
believing till the day that we die. You know, we have a choice to make, a responsibility to believe and receive, but make no mistake about it, God does all the work. And it's so cool, we read there in verse 18, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. How do you guys think you would do, seriously, if you went toe-to-toe with a lion? Probably not good, huh? (laughs) You know, I don't know if you've been in a fight with a lion lately, but I'm of the opinion that we wouldn't do too well going up against a lion by ourselves. But what we find right here is we don't have to face the lion alone. And that's the good news. You know, what we need to do as we're going through life, and I just really want to encourage you guys to know that the devil is there, the world is there, the flesh is there, our three enemies, they work together in conjunction against the work and the calling of God upon our life. And so we need to make sure that we do things God's way. Uh, One of the passages that comes to mind is Judges chapter 14, verse 6. And there you read about a guy named Samson. And the Bible says that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was supernaturally strengthened to tear the lion apart with his bare hands. No other man, just trusting in God. You know, and... And I, and I know for myself, as I go out into the day, and it, it could just be my family, it could be ministry, whatever it is. The other day I had the opportunity to share a little bit at Sam's Club. I was so afraid. But then the Lord, you know, what he wants us to do is, know, is to walk in in his strength, not ours. And what happened with Samson is the same thing that has to happen to us. There's a lesson there. It's a visual lesson that we need to be supernaturally empowered with the Holy Spirit. You know, and I know we talk about that in different ways. Some people will say, well, how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? Well, the better question probably is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Are we fully surrendered to Him? If you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, then I think there needs to be a life of obedience because if you disobey, you will grieve the Spirit and there needs to be a life of faith because if you doubt, then you will quench the Spirit. And so we can't live in disobedience. We can't live in doubt. We've got to trust in the Lord. And I think there's Samson, that beautiful lesson. He Just think about it. He tore the lion apart with his hands. Just his bare hands. God will do that in your life and you will resist the devil and he will flee from you when you walk in the Lord's ways. I think another story that we have in the Bible is one that you're probably more familiar with and that is Daniel. You guys remember Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? How many of you guys studied that when you were a kid, right? Throwing Daniel into the lion's den, you know? And all these lions are down there. And you guys know the reason that he was thrown into the lion's den, right? He was thrown into the lion's den because he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of prayer. Think about that, a man of prayer. And so they throw him into the lion's den. And what we find right there, in God in his sovereignty has the ability to deliver us. And what we find is that in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 20, it says the king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually 
been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him. Why? Because he believed in God. How about you? Do you believe in God? When you're thrown into the lion's den, what's going to happen? You know, one thing I would share with you along those lines is don't take that day lightly. I really believe that Daniel is a, is a lesson for us. It's a clear lesson He's a loud lesson on prayer. Because the Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 that he would spend the morning in prayer, the noontime in prayer, and an evening in prayer. That was his custom since he was a little boy, since his youth. How will you and I be able to defeat the devil and his demons and his lying lions if we're not praying. And if you haven't been praying, if you haven't been living a healthy prayer life, what makes you think that you're in the perfect will of God? This is important. It's one of the basic spiritual disciplines. It was one of the things that Jesus Christ exemplified for us so powerfully. He would go, he would tell other people to go away, he would spend all night in prayer, he'd rise up before the sun. And if he needed to do it, why, why don't you? Why don't we pray? Oh, I gotta, you know, I got a lot of things to do, Manny. And I know you do, especially if you have little kids. I understand that's a little bit of a different dy dynamic. I know it's hard, but you know, turn off the TV and, and get rid of the extracurricular activities if necessary, and maybe lose a half hour of sleep. I don't know, but. But if we're, I want to prepare you for the day that you're alone, to know that you're not alone. And God wants to prepare you for the day that you're thrown into the lion's den, to the, that day that you're in front of the lion. You've got to know that you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit through a life of obedience and faith, and you're going to need a, a life of prayer. You're going to need a life of heroic courage. I remember reading one of the guys... Um, in, uh, in David's mighty army. Do you guys remember that one guy? He fought a lion on a snowy day in a pit. That's what the Bible says. And he won. And it was the worst enemy under the worst circumstances. <laughs> you know, one day we might be there. You guys remember David as he's watching over the flock? Remember? And a lion came. What did David do? He fought for the flock. Right? And he told Saul, I've killed lions, I've killed bears. We're going to go against lions. Most of us here, if we see a lion trying to do something, we'll just say, hey, go ahead, buddy. You know, I'm not going to mess with you. But if you have a shepherd's heart like David did, I think you will. You know, all I know is that there's going to be the day we're there. And, you know, with the Lord, he will deliver us from that lion. And I love that. Preserving us for his heavenly kingdom. 
And so, in closing, verse 19, Paul says, Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erasmus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. You know, and now he begins to name some people um, that he wants to say hi to there in Ephesus. And you know, one of the things that's kind of cool about Paul, from what I understand, uh, when you read the book of Acts and the letters of Paul, he mentions about a hundred different people that were, you know, co-labors and companions of his in Christ. And uh, what we find in the Bible says that we have many members of the body here. He says, say hi to Priscilla and Aquila. They were fellow tent makers he met in Ephesus who had faithfully served with him for many years. Apparently now they are in Ephesus serving under his protege Timothy We read about Onesiphorus earlier in chapter 1 of this book, verse 16 through 18, how Paul prayed for God to grant mercy to his household, a dear family there in the congregation. And then Erastus is mentioned in Acts 19.22 and Romans 16.23, possibly referring to the same man who at one time was the treasurer of the city and then he became a minister So Erastus stayed in Corinth. Trophimus, it's interesting in verse 20, he says, I have left him in Miletus sick. And so can I ask you guys a question? Why didn't Paul heal him? Well, for those who believe that everybody's supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, here's a lesson that it's not always that way, right? That sometimes it's not God's will. Warren Wiersbe said, apparently not every sick person is supposed to be miraculously healed. In verse 21, Paul says, Do your utmost to come before winter. We know that there would be a window of time when winter hits that Timothy couldn't come and Paul wanted him to to be diligent, to do his best to come. And then he mentions Eubulus and uh, Pudens, Linus. You guys know that's where Linus came from? Charlie Brown. Claudia and all the brethren. Verse 21, we don't know them, nothing about them. We don't know anything about them other than that they're there in Rome, which kind of brings up another question. We're like, well, if they're there in Rome sending their greetings to Ephesus, why didn't they stand with Paul? And there's a few possibilities. Uh, They may have been uh, in prison uh, with Paul, um, but more than likely, um, they are just Christians in Rome who had connections with Paul. And uh, even though they had connections with Paul, they didn't have like that kind of connection (laughs) where some people say they just didn't want to go to that place of standing with him in court. But that's okay. Paul says, no problem. I pray for them. I send their greetings anyways. And then in verse 22, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Does anybody here have an old King James or a King James version? Wow, you guys are all converted, huh? (laughs) If you have an old King James, it says, uh, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. And that's one of the things my son, he always tell me, he say, Dad, I like the new King James, but one of the things you got to remember about the King James is that the pronouns are more accurate. Because when he says, the Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit, he's talking to Timothy. It's singular. But, grace be with you, now that word you, even in the King James Version is you, is plural. Now he's talking 
to everybody. And so he's telling Timothy, say, you know what, and here's one thing. That we, we just got done with a class on, on prayer. You know, the Lord will always be with you, right? The Lord will always be with you. But notice what he prays. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It's like, wait a minute, time out. I thought you said he was always going to be there. Yeah, but, you know, we pray the Bible. <laughs> we pray the promises. Paul prays the promise of the Bible over the life of Timothy that Jesus would be with him, even his spirit, not just in a superficial way, not just in an artificial way. I think for some people, when they think of Jesus, they don't really, it's not real. He's not real. He's like a figment of their imagination. He's up there. He's distant. He's in heaven. He's like, there's not like this real, true inner connection, you know, communion, fellowship with Jesus. And so he's saying to Timothy, as he's getting now, and now it's going to be official, you know, I'm passing the baton. The one thing that I want to tell you is the one thing that you need, Timothy, is Jesus. And you really need Jesus, not just to pretend Jesus, not just a superficial, not just an artificial. You need to have that fellowship with Jesus, Timothy. And by the way, and you know the only reason I want you to do good is because I love God and I love all these people. And for the rest of all the people, he says, grace be with you, amen. And someone might look at that and they might say, well, that's the typical way Paul closes all of his letters. Grace be with you, grace be with you, grace be with you. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, yes, it does. <laughs> it does, you guys. You know, before I was a Christian, I failed. And uh, you guys, we all failed, right? You know, some of you here, you were into drugs, your sexual sin, you know, blasphemy. I don't know what the things you did, the lying, the cheating, the smoking, the chewing, all that kind of stuff. We failed. Some people were better than others, though, right? But they still failed. For example, I failed down here. <laughs> You failed maybe up here, but you failed before you're a Christian. You want to know something? And I don't, I don't take this lightly, but you still fail. We still fail. We still need the righteousness of Christ. We still need the grace of God. That's why he started the letter with grace and he puts it in there, 2 Timothy chapter 2, be strong in the grace. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God I am what I am. We don't abuse the grace, but we use the grace. We try not to sin. You know, I always tell people, because it's hard, and let me just share this with you guys. I was praying the other day and I think I was talking to the Lord who knows, maybe I was just talking to myself. But um, the balance between grace and holiness is really hard. It's really difficult. But what I found is that, you know, if your heart is not to sin, you're not going into sin with eyes wide open, presumptuously sinning, then that means a lot to God. You know, we stumble along the way. But, you know, when we do, we accept that grace and we need it in our life. And that's the way the Bible ends. When you read the book of Revelation, same thing. And so, you know, I thank God for his grace that is found in Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in him as a Lord and Savior of your life,
then by faith, it's so amazing, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we're saved. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And what we do now is we find ourselves in this place of grace. I pray that we would not ever abuse that grace. But I do pray, because we fail, the Lord, that we would be strong in the grace. God's reward at Christ's expense. So amazing, huh? The grace of God. You guys know what uh, justice is, right? Justice is, you know, uh, I better not use that illustration, but, uh, you know, let's just say you have a $100,000 debt. Justice is pay the $100,000, right? Mercy. What's mercy? Well, mercy is you have a $100,000 debt and you end up saying, the judge says, it's okay, you don't have to pay it. That's mercy. But grace is, above and beyond justice and mercy, what it is is you have a $100,000 debt. We're so indebted. We're so indebted. But we come to Jesus. And he washes us in his righteousness. And he washes us in his blood. Because he satisfied that payment. He was a propitiation for our sins. And even though we have this $100,000 gazillion, whatever it is, debt, not only does he say you, gotta, you, know, it's not, you don't have to pay it, uh, you, you know, not only is it mercy, is what he does is he lavishes his riches upon our life. You see, that's what grace is. That's what we are living in. And I pray, you guys, right there, as he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's for us. And then the word amen, does anybody know what the word amen means? So be it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. Uh, Lord, today I pray, uh, Lord, for your people as they go out. One day they may feel all alone. I pray they would know that they're never alone as your people.